Welcome to the Invest with Clarity podcast, where you will learn how success in investing, as in life, is the result of absolute clarity. Mark Pearson of Nepsis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, shares his passion for portfolio management and commitment to transparency and communication to allow investors to fully understand what they own and why, bringing them to clarity in their investments. And now, here are your co-hosts, Matt Halloran and Mark Pearson. Hello and welcome to another Invest with Clarity podcast with Mark Pearson, the Chief Investment Strategist for Napsis. Now, today we are going to have a three-way battle, SMAs versus mutual funds versus ETFs. All right, Mark, the bell has rung. Where do we begin? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. By the way, before we get into this, am I going to get to toot my horn again? about why you shouldn't make predictions about markets and why you shouldn't make predictions about your investments. Before I, we get I happen to love when you toot, with so that. go ahead. Well, here's the deal. As we tell people, you, you cannot prognosticate, postulate, and speculate. You cannot guess, even if it's educated, guess or not. No one knows where a bottom of a market is. We're recording this in February, on February 21st of 2019. And uh, we bottomed in this correction that everybody got worried about uh, on Christmas Eve. And according to statistics, over 20 billion came out of equity mutual funds in December alone. And at that bottom on December 24th, forget that, since January 1st, the S&P is up just under 11%. The uh, NASDAQ's up over 12.5%, Dow is up over 10 ACWI's up over 10 on February 21st, you're not even two months into the, into the year, and you're seeing higher returns of the indexes than you do on historical averages. And of course, on Christmas Eve, here's the deal. There's not a lot of rocket science to this. I tweeted out from our Nepsis account that, uh, and also told our head of research that we are about at the bottom. And my theory was that once we hit 20%, look, once you hit 20% down, Statistical probabilities that you're buying in close to the bottom, in my opinion, are pretty high. Uh, and because Morningstar says that on average, these stats are a little old, by the way, but uh, on average, a 20% correction happens every five years. The deal is, though, we hadn't seen a, a, a 20% correction since the bottom of the financial crisis, so it had been 10 years. And in other words, 20% corrections are not that uncommon. But we hadn't seen one for a while. We got a lot of younger investors now. We got a lot of people who used to be in the business during the tough days gone. And it, it, it's a new environment. So volatility is new. But as we always say, Uncle Matt, volatility creates opportunity. Volatility, in our opinion, is not risk if you're appropriately asset allocated. And so your investment objectives are being met. And you know what you own and why you own it. Because volatility creates the opportunity to take advantage of buying businesses on sale would you like a few examples? I would love a few examples. Okay, I'm going to give them to you. So uh, since January 1st, by the way, I have to give the disclosure, this is not a solicitation or recommendation to buy any stocks uh, that are mentioned here in on this uh, podcast. I am going to tell you, I may have said in a previous podcast that we were long-term shareholders of NVIDIA, and NVIDIA was an S&P 500 darling in 16 and 17. And uh, we started buying in the 60s when it hit 260, 265 in early October because of the initial numbers regarding a recession coming. We don't like to own semiconductor stocks at peak of economic cycles. 
So we sold it. Lo and behold to us, uh, we were able to repurchase NVIDIA $138 a share three months later. I want you to think about this. You buy a stock at 160 you sell it at 260 to 265 and We sold some profit along the way anyways over the last couple of years. And then the market, uh, emotional investors, illogical investors, give you the opportunity three months later to go back and buy a top semiconductor stock at 138, $136 to $138 a share. I mean, I, it was the worst performing S&P 500 stock, by the way, in 2018, shockingly, as it was the best in 16 and 17. By the way, that stock now is at 160. So it's already up like 15% from the bottom. Uh, volatility creates the opportunity. How about Celgene? We told you about Celgene, right? Went from 98 to 65. Fundamentals hadn't changed. Bought at 65. January 2nd, Bristol-Myers buys them for over $100 a share. Stock's trading at 90 right now. 65 to 90. We started buying that in early December for the clients. But you want one more little tasty tidbit? Keep me going. The Netflix of China that most people have never heard of, IQ. IQ is up 53.5% year to date. That stock was $22 a share in October, November, let's call it. Went all the way down to just under 15 now back at 23. So that stock on October, let's call it October 24th, was at 2240. It's now February, October, November, December, January. Four months later, four months. Are you a long-term investor? It's right back at 20 at 20, oh, 23. Now the question is, did you get the opportunity? Did you have a buy discipline in place to go in and buy that stock when it was at 15? I actually went in and did my December buys for that stock. Our average price we bought it at for clients was 17. Stock's at 23 now. By the way, this is a $16 billion market cap company. It's going to be the Netflix of China. I, you know, it's not like it's a fly-by-night company. It's volatile, but volatility creates the opportunity to buy businesses on sale. This is why we believe in the idea of know what you own and why you own it. And most importantly, as I segue for you, Biggie, why you should invest in an SMA versus mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. All right, so you just did the tale of the tape there, and now we're uh, we're seeing these three people walk into the ring. Let, let's talk about these. First, if you don't mind, let's get the definitions of what an SMA is, what a mutual fund is, what an ETF is, please. Sure. So obviously, uh, most people have their money in a mutual fund, right? And particularly in 401ks and that kind of thing. Uh, the definition of a mutual fund, according to Google, <clears throat> is an investment program funded by shareholders that trades in diversified holdings and is professionally managed. In other words, it is a bucket of stocks, bonds, real estate, hard metals, whatever you want to own. All Think of it all in a bucket. And people who invest in that mutual fund are shareholders in the fund. So you have a share price based on the value of that mutual fund. Okay. All the money is commingled, which means the manager makes all the investment decisions, manages all of uh, the buys and sells. And additionally, the investor has no control over who buys, who sells. The manager of the fund has to do it. Additionally, 
uh, an investor cannot know what a mutual fund owns until they file their SEC filings at the end of each quarter, which means that the fund could have totally changed in that period. So that, that in the simplest form is what a mutual fund is. Most mutual funds are what's called an open-end mutual fund, which means that they price at the end of each day. When you buy or sell a mutual fund, right, it is priced at the close of business on that day. So what happens if you panic and you sell a fund early in, you know, early in the trading day only to see it rebound at the end of the day? You lucked out. What happens if you thought it was really high in the morning, you sold it, and then you had a 10% pullback at the end of the day? You're going to get the closing price. It's limited flexibility, uh, limited transparency, obviously, in a mutual fund. All right. An exchange-traded fund is a marketable security. It trades in the open market, trades like a stock. You can buy and sell at any time. And it is also something that tracks an index or bonds, or it's a basket of assets just like a mutual fund. Uh, the biggest difference between an exchange-traded fund and a mutual fund is that the, the exchange-traded fund prices throughout the day. And you can buy and sell immediately, whereas with mutual funds, you can't. Those are those two. Gotcha. Now, before we go into an SMA, did you want to ask me anything about those two? I don't. No, no, no. No, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the majority of the listeners are going to know what those two are. I think the big difference is how we transition into this next one. Right. So most people uh, are not familiar with the concept of an SMA. An SMA is a separately managed account, you know, and what that means is it is a portfolio where your money is not commingled with other people's money. Okay. It's a, it's a portfolio of assets managed by a professional investment firm. That's what we do here at Nepsis. We believe in SMAs. And the vast majority of firms that do this own individual securities in the individual's account. So there are four significant, we feel, advantages to an SMA because it differs from pooled vehicles like a mutual fund. You're, look, when you need money, it comes directly out of your account. So let me, let me give you the four basics, Matt on the benefits of an SMA. By the way, we call this, you'll like this, smart investing. Hmm. Smart investing. The word smart is a play on SMA and the art of investing. If you don't think art is involved in investing, you are sorely mistaken. All right. Why are SMAs so smart? Number one, an SMA can be customized to properly align with an investor's objectives and goals. Number two, SMAs are actively managed by a professional portfolio manager who provides individual guidance and understands the investor's unique goals as well as their per, uh, personal tolerance for risk. Here's a big one, particularly since you just had that 20% correction. SMAs provide the flexibility needed to invest directly in businesses. I mean stocks, bonds, and other securities to generate liquidity and potential tax benefits. This is due to the investor owning the security outright 
versus owning shares or units of a mutual fund or exchange traded fund. Lastly, SMAs provide the transparency. Many clients demand to understand exactly what they own in their portfolio and why they own those securities. Clients have access to all the details associated with any trains, uh, trades or changes in their portfolio. So in other words, in layman's terms, why an SMA? An SMA gives an investor a lot more transparency and a lot more flexibility. And I ask the simple rhetorical question. If I work hard for all my money and I go invest all my money, wouldn't it stand to reason that I want every advantage possible to potentially enhance my ability to invest and plan with success? Yeah. That's why we believe in the SMA. And, you know, SMA have other uh, secondary benefits like the ability to tax manage the portfolio because you know where the gains and losses are in every aspect of the portfolio. Here's another big one. Let me, and this is, this is a really good example for an SMA and why SMAs are so good. Let's take for an example in the case here at Nepsis. Of course, we have investors who take money out of their portfolio monthly or quarterly or whatever because they're in retirement, right? And uh, Or they all of a sudden say, gee, I need some money. So they find themselves in a situation where they say, you know what? I need to get money out of my portfolio. I'm buying a car. I'm buying a house. I'm doing this or that, whatever the case may be. And in our particular case, as it has happened uh, on multiple occasions for us uh, over the years, we generally have one or two companies in our portfolio every year get bought. Uh, I don't remember the last year where we didn't have a company in our portfolio get purchased. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen in the future, Matt, but why is that advantageous? Well, in the case of Celgene, for an example, or the case of NVIDIA where we sold it in October at much higher levels because of the economic cycle and the type of business that is owned, semiconductors are very cyclical in nature, we were able to raise cash. When you sell Celgene, you raise cash. So an investor says, hey, I need money. Where's the place to get the money? Well, it puts us in a position. We don't have to sell anything while it's down because we can take the cash from Celgene or the NVIDIA to get people their funds. So what happened in this last correction, we had two businesses get bought, Celgene and Mazor. Okay? Both got bought in the last half of last year, last, uh, last quarter. Actually, yeah, uh, actually, Celgene was January, but close enough. We had positions we raised cash on because of economic cycle. We sat, when this correction started in October, with like 15, 10, 15, 18% in cash. So during the correction between October and December, we strategically cost averaged and brought down our cost basis in a lot of companies. And this is why when you look at now that the markets, which, of course, we don't invest in markets, we invest in businesses, are up 10%. Um, I'm not going to tell people what we're up because it's short term and I don't want it to come across as braggadocious and sell returns. But I told you how much we were up already. Not bad. Not too shabby. And that's why volatility creates opportunity. And you get that when you own an SMA. I'd like for you to go back just a little bit and talk a little bit more about the tax applications here, because I think that people don't understand the power of how to utilize a a clear portfolio uh, in managing sort of tax losses and tax gains. Could you could you just elaborate on that just a little bit more, I'm please? Give you a direct example. Okay, great. Client, 
uh, uh, so we uh, SEC filings. We have a sizable position in a company called Baidu, and uh, Baidu is the Chinese version of Google. We've owned Baidu since about 2007, and had a new client come in in August, July, August, September. I don't remember the exact date, but came from a a, a big wirehouse kind of firm had a bunch of mutual funds and individual stocks. And as we began to manage the portfolio, again, another advantage of an SMA is the ability to pinpoint when you sell something when appropriate, because some things we may not want to sell right away, other things we will. So I sold all the bonds out right away, especially since interest rates had gone from over 3% down to 2.7, sold the bonds all out of the portfolio, raised the cash, and then began to sell off positions we didn't want to own in strategic cost average into the positions we wanted the client to own. Well, in October, November, we were buying companies like Kraft and Baidu in particular for this client. And when we were repositioning the portfolio, he had capital gains from the positions we sold, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, what we did was we went in and sold Kraft, sold Baidu at a loss, they were down 20%, whatever, in this correction. And whatever those dollars were, I'm, I won't, you know, obviously won't give details on the dollars, but basically cut their capital gains tax significantly because when you sell a position at a loss, it offset gains, right? If you wait 30 days to eliminate what's called the wash sale rule, you can go back 30 days later and you can buy those stocks back. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, here's my problem, right? I've already said, I've already talked about, I've already tweeted, I've already told our clients, advisors we work with, that this correction is almost over in December. And I said to my investment committee, look, when this thing's down 20%, you got to go all out. You got to invest. Because the, the long-term fundamentals of the economy really have not changed. And certainly the businesses, more importantly, that we own have not changed. That happened on December 24th, right? So on December 31st, I waited uh, because the markets were rebounding. Stocks were rebounding at the time. I waited and sold these positions at the loss on the 31st to get the tax loss harvest. But I knew, I shouldn't say I knew. That's, that's not fair. I felt confident that more than likely when people came back from Christmas Eve, or the market's bottom, low volume, and coming to the end of the year, that the tax loss harvesting was going to end. And that I expected, my expectations were that January was going to be a big month because people were going to come back from Christmas, see a lot of stuff on sale, and start buying. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. So what I did to offset myself was when I sold Baidu, uh, I went in and bought Alibaba for this client. Okay, Now, I, I did this kind of stuff for other clients too, right? So this is just the specific example, right? So in this case, I sold the Baidu to hedge myself because I can't own Baidu for the next 30 days. I'm going to go in and I'm going to buy Alibaba because both companies benefit from a Chinese economy and, of course, with the tariffs going on and everything else, blah, 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 I thought Alibaba would be a very, very good place mm -hmm. to get the money. 
So I went in and bought Alibaba at like 133, $134 a share. Today, Alibaba is at 172. So Baidu actually went down in the January. I actually got able to buy Baidu not maybe 10% higher than what I sold it at. I got the tax loss harvest and I bought Alibaba as a hedge in case things snap back, which is exactly what they did. I did the same thing with NVIDIA. I bought NVIDIA for him before that at 136, 137. Now it's at 158. So my point is that tax loss harvesting is a direct benefit of clarity. Mm -hmm. It is a direct benefit of transparency. It is a direct benefit of flexibility. And I meet with smart investors all the time. They're unfamiliar with this strategy. And this is something we talk about in our sell discipline. We have four sell disciplines. This is why we talk about having a buy discipline and having a sell discipline. Instead of, you know, sitting in front of a TV, listening to a bunch of people say you should just buy an index. This is the, our next podcast, of course, is going to be on active investing versus passive. Right. There are significant advantages to active management. The problem is our industry, because it is, it is driven by so many mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, that we are teaching people how to be lemmings, how hmm. to just go with the flow and just do it and hope and pray, when the reality is the smart money knows what to do. This is why people always complain, well, the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Uh, all the smart, you know, the institutions, Wall Street, they make all the money. Wall Street doesn't make all the money if you know how to invest with clarity. If you know how to have flexibility and transparency and invest like the institutional money does, that is what an SMA gives you. Talk about clarity. I warned uh, Mark earlier uh, for our listeners as we were preparing for the podcast that I was going to be sitting back and learning a lot about this because, you know, there are a lot of acronyms in our industry and, and everybody's talking about ETFs and everybody's talking about, you know, all you need to do is invest in these mutual funds. And I personally didn't understand how all of those uh, fit together or didn't fit together, especially when it came to an SMA within the Nepsis system and investing with Clarity. Mark, I think you did a great job. That was wicked clear, makes a lot of sense. I love your examples and I love because you're proving what's in the pudding, right? You And I love it. Here's why Clarity, understanding the companies, what you own and why you own it why we went from this stock to this stock, and then why we went from this stock back into this stock, right? That's, right. I just don't think people understand. I don't think that there's enough people like you out there who are talking about this to rise above the noise of these cabillion dollar companies that are flooding the airwaves with misinformation. Well, I uh, thank you for that, by the way, which is a nice compliment. You know, look, at the end of the day, this is really our mantra. I mean, our, our whole uh, mission statement is to change the investment world one investor at a time mm -hmm. uh, through the power of clarity. And uh, clarity really does give you an advantage. Look, we're talking about our hard-earned money. Don't we want to have every advantage we can? Now, let me be blunt. Let me be Fully transparent. Let, allow me to look like a complete idiot for a minute. Is that okay? I don't know if I can deal with that, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, maybe I've just put you upon a pedestal so high. No, go well, ahead, man. Of course. Well, Nepsis is know what you own and why you own it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we believe that when you know what you own and why you own it, 
it can lead to better wealth, better life, right? And as you know, and as our SEC filings show, we have a significant position in a company called Zest. And Zest is a what's called a micro cap, which in, is code for, in layman's terms, a high-risk stock, according to the industry, according to the market. Mm-hmm. It's high-risk. And, of course, one of the things you know about this industry is I cannot stand the labels and the categories that the industry forces things into and I believe really gives investors, uh, in some cases, a false sense of accuracy or security. And I was involved with Zest since it was a private company. I sat on an advisory board and made recommendations for the company to buy this Zest technology, which is a a software hardware platform that no one in the world that we have been able to find can remotely mimic. And not only that, has a database that's been in development for almost 12 years that is so dang powerful, most people have no clue. Hmm. Okay, But there are other ancillary components, including the fact that the CEO of EcoArc, which owned this Zest technology, was family friends of the Walton family, spent his entire career at Walmart until he retired, at the age, I think, of like 44. And uh, without going into all the details, uh, that stock has had a significant negative impact on client portfolios over the last couple of years. Now, it hasn't this year because of the position size now in portfolios. But the last couple of years, it was a much higher percentage position, which therefore has higher impact short term. Now, why is this important? Investors move from one money manager to another because they don't like the returns. Yeah. But the problem is they don't know how the returns were garnered. They don't know what risks were taken to get the returns, good or bad. Okay, And we're now in a situation where we are moving down the field on a lawsuit that Zest has filed against Walmart because we believe Walmart stole the technology. Hmm. This is public information. Mm -hmm. Suing them for $2 billion. The ability to have a conversation with a client and say, look, if you look at your portfolio right now, remember, you don't make or lose money until you sell something, but you can clearly see that Zest has been the major drag on your portfolio returns in the last couple of years. And although you may not like that, it may frustrate you, the fact of the matter is you're a long-term investor in businesses. And would you sell the stock if it was at 5, 10, 15, or 20 now? Probably not. It's down. Mm-hmm. But if the long-term fundamentals, by discipline, right, mm-hmm. have the long-term fundamentals gotten better, worse, or the same? And when you have this kind of conversation with a client whose portfolio is maybe drugged back a little bit and say, well, here's the deal. Yeah, short-term, we're not, it's not doing as well in helping your portfolio return short-term so you get warm and fuzzy. But, oh, by the way, there's a $2 billion lawsuit against Walmart, which could, no guarantees, but mm-hmm. could, have a game-changing significant impact on your portfolio. And when you have that conversation with a client, what happens is the client says, well, he's not selling it, is he? <laughs> right. Well, I was just, well, just going to say that. All of a sudden gone from my portfolio sucks to, holy crap, this is huge. Yeah. I want to buy more. Yeah. That well, is the power of clarity. That's, the po- that's how investors should be investing because that's how business owners invest. Yep. All right. 
my soapbox. I appreciate that. By the way, uh, that that didn't uh, knock you off the pedestal in any way, shape, or form, Mr. Pearson. I'm sorry if you were attempting to fall down, but uh, yeah, you caught yourself at the end there. All right. Uh, closing statements before we uh, wrap up today's podcast, and then uh, you just triggered a whole bunch of questions that I'm going to ask you about this next podcast, which is active versus passive. So any closing thoughts? All I would say is uh, there is a power in knowing what you own and why you own it. There is power in investing with clarity. And I would just say from a common sense standpoint, wouldn't it make sense that you have every advantage you could to help you be a successful investor? All right. All right, Mark, thank you so much for your thought leadership today and walking through SMAs versus mutual funds versus ETFs. You got it, boss. All right. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time Mark comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And if you don't mind, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. I'm sure you know somebody who could truly use this information. So for everybody at Nepsis and for you to remember to invest with clarity, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. It is not a solicitation or recommendation for any securities that may be mentioned herein. Advisory services offered through Nepsis Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. 